thank you for this time of the year. We thank you that we can be assembled together in your name. And Lord, we just ask that you would take this time and encourage us in our study of the word and in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And we've been just on Thursday nights, not a, a uh, really strong series as as uh, we might do through a book or uh, even a topic, but uh, last week we just went through the book of Hebrews and found the entire Christmas story mentioned uh, different places, different parts, and and uh, tonight what I'd like for us to do, there is no way that we can cover uh, everything uh, but to see Christmas in the prophecies, the story of Christ in prophecy. And as I was doing a little reading on this, there was an author that was quoted uh, many years ago. And basically, to paraphrase the quote, uh, was that the writers of the Old Testament painted the most clear and beautiful picture of Jesus having never seen him and not understanding even those things that they were speaking of at times. And uh, we, uh, I, I was reminded this week as I was taking Roger through the building and we went up into the auditorium was looking at some of the plaster and different things that need to be done and and uh, he saw that uh, there's a mural there, a picture of Jesus. And he, he's saying, yeah, my daughter-in-law, we, she could fix that thing. You know, give Jesus a haircut and put some clothes on him and some other things. The painting was done uh, probably in the 1860s when the building was built. And, and uh, there are many, many pictures uh, of Jesus. And... Uh, it's amazing uh, that uh, uh, if, if we follow Roman Catholic art, medieval art, how Caucasian and Northern European Jesus looked. Uh, and, of course, uh, they tell us that author, I mean, artists uh, will often uh, really, when they paint someone else or draw a face, they're drawing themselves. And so uh, it'd be interesting to meet some of the characters that actually draw these cartoons, wouldn't it? Uh, with that thought in mind, some of the strange people and facial features that appear. Uh, just wonder if the uh, artist would have that. Yet here, as God is giving us a look at the coming Messiah, he paints a picture so clear that modern scoffers, those that would uh, disagree with the Bible, those that would say the Bible is not of divine origin, have to change every word, have to uh, make the writers of the New Testament uh, actually intimate Old Testament scholars who recreated history and recreated facts to match the Old Testament prophecies. And the truth simply was, these disciples were not educated men. Uh, they were not trained. They did not spend their life 
studying the scriptures, and I, I want to challenge you, how much of the Bible would you know if the only copy that you had access to, uh, if the only time you could really understand the scriptures is when you went to church and listened to my preaching? And that's another subject maybe for another day is because you sit there and and as a pastor you deliver messages and then somebody will say, oh, wow, that we have a guest speaker and that was so clear and never heard that before. And I'm thinking, I got sermon notes to prove otherwise. Um, but you need to understand these disciples... The only scripture they would have contact with was what was read in the synagogues on the Sabbath day. What was read in Jerusalem if they would attend the feast. And, and many of the traditions and, and the practices that were outlined in the Bible uh, during the Feast of the Atonement, uh, there was supposed to be a whole section of the day that was nothing but the reading of the laws of God. There's no evidence in the disciples' day that that was even happening. Because they were debating the rules and regulations of the Pharisees, no longer the simple, clear, broad statements of Scripture. And so the lies that people manufactured to try to discount Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being the picture painted in prophecy are actually more fantastic and more unbelievable than the simple truth that God ordained through men of different centuries, of different times, of different families, words that give us an understanding that any honest inquiry as to the identity of the person the Bible calls the Messiah, must end at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the historical Jesus of Nazareth, is the only person in all of history that could possibly fulfill the prophecies of Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that is an amazing thought because everybody has all these statements. And if I can just give an illustration that is so modern and so part of our lives, uh, how many lies have been told since the election of Donald Trump as our next president? I just want you to... Th how many lies have been told? Um, I was thinking of uh, driving and running errands and... So just try to tune in, and and and, uh, and, and I heard uh, one news commentator, uh, I believe it was Rush Limbaugh, talking about how that uh, Newt Gingrich was apologizing for some of the offensive things that Trump said, and and then Trump tweets today that he's going to drain the swamp, just like he said, and Newt had to back up, and, and you sit there and you go. How many untrue things have been said? How many of you thought that the, when the electors met the vote, that a whole bunch of them were going to change their votes and not vote for Donald Trump? How many of you know what really happened when the electors met? 
several of the electors that were pledged to vote for Hillary Clinton actually voted for Bernie Sanders and somebody else. Trump did not lose any electors. Uh, just lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. You say, how do we know when we're not being lied to? When you see it happening. Isn't it true? I mean, that's about the only answer I can give you today. Uh, I was just perusing the news and it was like, good night. Is there any integrity in the news reporting industry anymore? Any at all? And you're sitting there going, uh, I knew it was bad, but this bad? I mean, this amount? And yet, it's nothing new. They've been doing this to your Bible for centuries. People will just stand up and they'll hold the Bible up and they'll just lie through their teeth. And I wish uh, maybe sometime uh, we'll pray about this and uh, we'll, we'll take time and we'll go through every prophecy that was fulfilled in the birth of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that would probably take a couple of years on Thursday nights just to go through every one. But tonight, we're just going to start here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Uh, this is the first prophecy, if you like big terms. This is called the Proto-Evangelum, meaning before the evangelist, before people understood that... Uh, God was sending his son. Uh, here's what it said. As God is passing out judgment, he starts in verse 14 and passes judgment upon the serpent. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, there's been an awful lot made of this verse uh, that just simply is not biblical. It's not talking about the woman here. It's talking about the seed of the woman. You just have to understand the grammar. It says, I'm going to put enmity. And I've heard preachers preach sermons on how women hate snakes. Now, it's not always true. Uh, uh, I've, I've met some pe uh, females over the years, ladies who, like snakes, had no problems with them. I got a problem with most snakes. Uh, I like dead ones, amen? Uh, uh, but, uh, and I like them in the zoo, behind the glass. Now, that I do, I enjoy that. Uh, but in my mother's basement, uh, I did not like that. We, we, we took care of that problem uh, in short order. And uh, uh, the simple truth of the matter, this is not talking about women hating snakes. And it's not talking about snakes, because it's talking about the devil. 
the devil was empowering or possessing, using this serpent. And certainly the serpent has been one of the devil's symbols over the years. And so the enmity is between the devil and those that serve him and between the seed of the woman, which is the Messiah. And it's interesting because if you'll follow your Bible, the word seed is used in this idea of the next generation and generations to follow is always, except for this passage, reserved for the man. Because it is a man that gives his name and his direction to his family and and those things, and yet here it uses a phrase that is unique. And we go to the book of Galatians. And let's go to Galatians chapter 4 and spend just a little time going through the first seven verses here of Galatians chapter 4. Of course, not in uh, utter detail, but just enough. Verse One says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, this is talking about those that are heirs of eternal life, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of the time was come... God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. This is, Galatians 4 is history. Genesis chapter 3, of course, is prophecy. How many of you have already seen the correlation between these two passages? In the fullness of time, in God's providential time, He sent His Son... And he was made of a woman. That, that brings us to our next topic, which we'll get in just a minute. The, this verse in Genesis is demanding a virgin birth. A birth without the normal uh, life process. God suspended the rules. And as we expressed on Sunday, the only time in human history, Joseph was able to believe that Mary was still pure and that Mary was with child. It's the only time in history that's ever happened. Made under the law. That's why Mary had to be engaged before the child was come. She had to be married legally. Uh, That is, the the engagement process was much more than, than it is in our day. And because, and we come here to verse 5, here's the reason to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is the work. You know, the, they like to emphasize this bruising of the head of the serpent and all of this. Here's, the, here's what it is. Every one of us that is 
old enough to understand the difference between right and wrong, have sold ourselves to sin. That's what the Bible means when it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, who is our taskmaster once we sell ourselves in the slave market of sin? Why, it is the devil, is it not? You're either a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ or you're a servant of the devil. We can divide the entire world into those two categories. And how is the head of the serpent bruised? When the seed of the woman has paid the price for our sins and we are now set free from the bondage of the law of God and the impending judgment that is due us, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But that's not talking only physical death. That's talking eternal death. Eternal separation from God. And the head of the serpent is bruised in the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price so that we could be set free from the bondage of the sin that we chose. I've heard sermons on, if Adam only hadn't eaten the apple. Well, that, number one, it wasn't an apple. And number two, every one of us have walked in Adam's footsteps and have chosen sin. It's a personal decision. We were born sinners, yes, but we each chose it. And he was born to set us free. And by the way, when Jesus gave the promise to his church and of his church that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, one of the understandings of that passage which we must grasp is that once someone has been set free from the bondage the serpent's head has been bruised not one soul has ever gone back the devil has not ever retrieved one soul taken from his authority and placed under Jesus Christ can we say amen to that and if you read anything else, uh, I saw some trailer to Mel Gibson's perverted mockery, The Passion of the Christ, and it, and it had all this thing about stepping on the head uh, of the serpent. And that's, that's not what it's about. It's about freeing the heirs of salvation from the bondage of sin and the judgment the law demands to be free to serve Christ. That's the fulfillment of that prophecy. And you see, being that it is made of a woman, that let's go back to Isaiah chapter 14. I mean Isaiah chapter 7, if you would. Uh, a verse, if you've ever listened to Handel's Messiah, uh, this ver- the song, of course, will ring in your uh, 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 mind as we read some of these prophecies. Uh, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so we read this verse, and if you read any of the commentaries, or especially the Jewish commentaries, they'll go on and on and on and on and on about how the word in the Hebrew uh, 
could mean virgin, but doesn't necessarily have to mean virgin. It just means young woman. And if you have any of the new translations, they take the word virgin out and put young woman in there in an attempt to downgrade the clarity and the truthfulness of the prophecy. Now, here's something that as you turn to Matthew chapter 1, we need to understand. And this is what I mean uh, 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 an example of the Bible interpreting the Bible. The Bible always tells us what it means. You go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 22. Now this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, this is a passage that quotes the passage we just read in Isaiah. And the word virgin here cannot be confused, cannot be misinterpreted. And so... Anyone who would claim that the word virgin does not belong in Isaiah's prophecy is simply not using their own Bible to clarify the Bible. Our King James translators were perfectly correct when they put that word in there because it connects to the other scripture. Scripture agrees with scripture. Amen? And so we have the, the beginning of this painting uh, uh, of the Messiah. He is the seed of the woman. He is not born in a normal fashion. And we have Paul teaching the Galatian church all about this thing. And it is absolutely amazing how discreet and yet how descriptive the Bible is as it describes these intimate matters and explains this thing. Now, I want you to go back to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to look at another version of this. And this is actually the course from Handel's Messiah. But we're going to read, start in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless... The dimness shall not be as was in her vexation when the first lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Now, this is talking about the ministry of Jesus. In fact, it's quoted in the New Testament. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government in peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, we know that one, those two verses because they're familiar with us. The rest of that passage is kind of confusing, isn't it? And yet, verse 5 tells us, that every battle is confused. And there was going to be confusion. That these people were going to be afflicted in the very area that Jesus would center his ministry. That's where the light shined. That's where the gospel was preached. It is a painting of Jesus Christ coming. And the fact that he would set in order the things of God, and the things of David, his father. We go to Genesis 49, and Jacob is on his deathbed as he prophesies about what's going to happen to his different sons and and how they're going to live. And it's going to be 400 years from this time until they get into the promised land And then it's going to be another 400 years before David ascends to the throne. Look at the time period here. And then from David to Jesus Christ is nearly another thousand years. And so in verse 10, as Jacob is laying on his deathbed in the land of Egypt, he says, verse 10 of chapter 49, "...the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come." And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And what did Jesus, actually the high priest, John chapter 11, prophesied? That Jesus would gather all together in one, not only the Jews, but the Gentiles, all the children of God. And that was part of their impetus in crucifying Jesus We read Numbers 24 when we talked about the wise men two Sundays ago. Balaam is prophesying about a star rising out of Jacob. That's the only connection that we can find between the wise men. Biblically, that is, between the wise men and the star of Bethlehem that is often sung about. These were prophecies that were painted And picture Jesus' ministry, how he walked, and how he ordered things. What did the Bible say repeatedly about Jesus' teaching? He taught them as one with authority. No, that's a word we don't like too much anymore. Uh, We have... It's amazing the people who hate authority and teach us are so authoritative. you ever noticed that? Just try to deny global warming or evolution. I was talking with Andrew. Uh, I I get so upset. Uh, The Planned Parenthood people are out there raising money to murder babies uh, on the streets of Astoria. 
and there, I said, you know, I, I'd like to just get a crew of people together. So when we find out they're there, let's just go walking down the street. Plant Parenthood murders babies, you know. Uh, and Andrew rightly said, yeah, but you would be violating the rules of freedom of speech because you're not allowed to say that in public. You see, that's the society we live in today. But Jesus taught with authority. And there's no reason for us to be afraid of what is in this Bible or people who criticize it. They're just making things up. Turn with me to Psalm 110. We got two more things to, to pick up just a, a little bit of, and we're not going to chase them as thoroughly as possibly we, we could, or, but uh, give you something to study a little bit later. Psalm 110. And let's just read the psalm, all seven verses. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. We have two things in this psalm. Number one, we have authority and rule, the Messiah as the king. But also when we read the book of Hebrews, uh, especially chapters 5 through 8, it explains uh, this idea of the priest Melchizedek. You see, Jesus is our high priest. Amen? There are many passages in the Bible that talk about Jesus being our high priest and that every saint, every believer in Jesus Christ is a priest directly responsible to God himself. If Jesus was of the order of Levi under the law, he would be bound by the law to only offer the physical sacrifices. But being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, an eternal priest, he was free to offer one eternal sacrifice for all time, for all sin. See, one of the complaints that has been mimicked down through history is that the Messiah was never to suffer. That he was to be the king. He was to set the people free. And the only freedom that they wanted was freedom from Rome. Freedom from Babylon at that time. Freedom from Egypt. Because these religious leaders, in spite of their religion, had no understanding that the greatest bondage was the bondage of sin. Back again to bruising the serpent's head. Is setting us free from the power of sin. How many of you are familiar with Passover? 
How can you read Exodus chapters 12 and 13 and not see Jesus Christ in the Passover lamb, in the blood sprinkled on the doors, uh, in the fact that the, uh, the, uh, the lamb was to be uh, roast with fire, not a bone was to be broken. Every, every part of the Passover. In fact, we have uh, uh, men billing themselves as Jewish evangelisms because they, they study the Old Testament and they'll go through the traditional Passover Seder that is celebrated by every devout Orthodox or uh, Jewish family uh, in the world today as they celebrate their Passover, which is the highest holy day on the Jewish calendar uh, because the temple uh, has not been in existence since 70 A.D. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, has to take uh, a uh, 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 really a second seat. Passover is their most holy, their most special day. They tell us this building in the uh, late 40s and early 50s on Passover, they would cram this place full with a thousand people. Uh, we found a seat assignment. If you look in front of you, some of the little tags are still there. They would put nine people in each one of these, nine men actually, and boys over 13 in the center. And the walls were up and the ladies, you and the younger children had to sit on the side. Sitting down here where the Riveras are sitting would cost you 2000 bucks a seat. And remember, this was many years ago when $2,000 was... A lot of money. And, and uh, uh, that's how they raised their money. If you didn't have enough to sit up here, uh, you got to go downstairs and listen to the cantor speak. Uh, because turning on a PA system or any of those things was breaking the Sabbath. And uh, yeah, it's an amazing history. But every tradition points to Jesus Christ. Let's take just a moment and go to Psalm 22, if you would. Psalm 22. And these are, this is not the only passage that deals with the crucifixion in the Bible, but you look at Psalm 22. Let's start out with verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus quoted Psalm 22. From the cross. And what was the response of the people that heard him? As he cried out, My God, Eloi, as it is put in our King James Bible, they said, He calls for Elijah or Elijah. He, he's calling for Elijah, yet every one of them had read that song, and not a one of them recognized it. And the reason why was because they had already decided in their hearts that he could not be their Messiah. And so, as we look here, it says, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. And uh, our fathers trusted in thee, thou trust, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee. And were delivered, they trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of, 
of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip and shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. How many of you remember what the Pharisees stood? If thou be the Christ, come down from the cross and we will believe thee. They were quoting back to Jesus the words of this psalm and had no idea what they were doing. You see, let's go on down a little farther. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and roaring lion. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Jesus cried, I thirst. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. I may, verse 17. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots on my vesture, upon my vesture. How It's almost if David was sitting at the foot of the cross watching what happened to Jesus as he writes here. How can you get this kind of accuracy without ever having seen a crucifixion? With not even knowing what was going to happen? I tell you, there's only one answer. It is the intervention of God's revelation mankind. As the painters paint the picture, we can see these different parts. How many of you have read Isaiah 53? Let's take just a moment and go there. And of course, their best excuse uh, today is Isaiah 53 talks about the nation of Israel. But verse 1, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. What did the Pharisees say to Jesus in John chapter 8? Thou, being a man, makest thyself God, and we're going to stone you. Jesus was fulfilling Isaiah 53.1. The movies, when they try to portray Jesus, they always do so in such a way uh, that uh, uh, make Jesus look different than all the people around him. And and, uh, the writer of the novel, Ben-Hur, they recently remade it. I I don't know that I'd recommend it. But uh, the old movie, when Jesus was there, they wouldn't even show his face. And everybody stopped. No, that wasn't it. Jesus was so human in his appearance that no one believed that he is God in the flesh except by faith. Because that's how God intended it to be. 
You see, verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked. He was crucified between two thieves and with the rich in his death. The two richest men, uh, as far as we understand, in all of Jewry, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, buried Jesus. How, how do you invent this stuff? You can't. You see, the picture has been painted by men who were separated from the physical life of Jesus by centuries. The men who wrote about it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, not a one of them would pass the first test to becoming a Pharisee, let alone be qualified as a scribe or a lawyer. The lawyers of the New Testament that fought Jesus. These were the people who would be classified as the scholars. And if you want to know why I'm so often uh, 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 very down and, 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 and degradate the uh, scholarship and scholars is because their place in history has never actually been to shed light. True scholarship is to make complicated things understandable. Amen? And yet, what do true scholars do today? That's exactly correct. You, you, we had a professor at Bible college. We called him Dr. Thesaurus. Because if you didn't have one, you had no idea what he was talking about most of the time. And I don't claim to have the world's largest vocabulary, but it is fairly extended from most reading because I like to read old books and they have lots of big words in there. And yet, when I preach, I want to keep it simple. That's why I love that quote about taking the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who none of them have ever seen and painting a picture through the words of prophecy so that there can be absolutely no doubt, no question of whom we are speaking and yet in physical appearance if Jesus were to walk through the back doors, none of us would recognize him based on his physical appearance. We have not one physical attribute. We do not know the color of his eyes. We do not know the color of his hair. I will tell you this. He did not look like the sissies they paint in the pictures. I promise you that. But I will tell you this. You believe in this book? You'll know who he is. 
You won't have any problems recognizing it. Because Jesus was meant to be seen through the eyes of faith. Amen? And so we look at these prophecies. And we didn't even touch on being born in Bethlehem and all the other things. The, the, the murder of the little babies in Bethlehem was prophesied in Jeremiah. And all of these things in the Bible. Hundreds of prophecies. How in the world do you manipulate the Roman guards into gambling for your garments at the foot of your own cross? Anybody got any ideas on that? I'll tell you the only way I know how it works is the intervention of God's revelation and direction. Tell you what, we got a book we can trust. Amen? And we have a Savior we can worship who started out as a baby in a manger. Lived on this earth 33 and a half years. And willingly laid down his life so that we could be set free. And he is coming back as our king. He was born to destroy the power of the devil. Every so often I get phone calls. Ah, do you guys, do, does your church deal with curses, lifting curses? And, and it's, absolutely. But we, we don't do it, what, we don't do what you're thinking of. Oh. You see, we don't pay attention to the devil around here. If you want the curse lifted, you pay attention to Jesus. And the curses become non-topical. Because the devil has no power where Jesus has set you free. Amen? He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. He is our God. And he is our Savior. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we thank you that we can open such an incredible book as the Bible. And we can read things that were written 1,800 years before it came into being. And yet, so absolutely up to date that the answer of the only answer of the critics is to deny its existence. Lord, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would encourage us especially during this Christmas season, to be bold, to be honest with our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, if you need to slip out of your seat, the altar's open.